And don't ever be afraid once that fly swings in there. And that's where that's where those glow lines really come into play, right? So you can mend, um, let's say that fly gets in there and it starts to slow right down almost to a stop, right? Take and mend that line all the way to that bank and strip it up four feet. Put, put two, three hard strips on it and move that thing because once it gets into that water where it stops, that water's not really moving anymore. You're in that inside corner eddy, if you will. That was Phil Croft with a solid tip on covering a pool for nighttime brown trout. This and Croft Craft Boats today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. If you get a chance, head over to wetflyswing.com live. That's L-I-V-E. And check out the next live episode we have going. We've been using Clubhouse um, to do some of these episodes. In fact, today, today's episode was recorded uh, through Clubhouse. At the very end, you'll hear John, a, um, somebody in the audience, comes on and asks a question. So just a heads up today... Um, if you're wondering uh, why we had a guest on today. So that's what we got going. Phil Croft, a boat builder and guide out of Michigan, describes his secret to mousing up brown trout during the night. We discover Phil's go-to line, his go-to fly, and his go-to boat coating uh, that he uses. And this is not Wetlander. We've had Wetlander on before. He's got another thing he talks about today for his, uh, his wooden drift boat. What's better than night fishing for trout? night fishing for trout out of a custom wood boat without further ado here is phil croft from croftcraft.com how's it going phil good dave how are you good man we're going to jump into this and talk about all things uh drift boats i guess and i guess yours is a drift boat technically it looks a little bit different than a lot of the boats you see out there but we're going to talk about that and a little bit of uh, brown trout uh, night fishing with with mouse with mice right yes absolutely nice all right, well, let's just take us from the top here. We're probably going to have about an hour, give or take. Uh, and I just want to hear first how you, the fly fish, I mean, you're guiding, you're doing a lot of stuff out there, you know, you're building boats. How did you first get into fly fishing? How does this, where did you get started? Pretty young age. Um, I had an uncle that was a pretty avid fly angler. And as a kid, we, we had a pond, like a family, a family pond. Grandma and grandpa had a farm. And, uh, we grew up basically fishing for brook trout. It was the headwaters of this little Creek. And, um, you know, as, as everybody, I kind of started out throwing spinners and, and the whole worm thing and whatnot. But once, uh, I got pretty acquainted with uncle John, he showed, kind of showed us a little bit about fly fishing and it just sort of all kind of took off from there at a young age. And where, where, where was this at again? Um, so Northern Michigan is yeah. where we're at. If you look at the kind of Michigan's like the, your, uh, your hand, right? Look at your hand, the mitten. <laughs> yep. And, um, so we're in that, uh, Northwestern kind of tip of the mitt, what they call. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And, and you're still, and that's where now you're guiding and doing some of the stuff out there. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. I was born and raised here and I've worked worked around the country, uh, building log homes at different times and a lot of construction stuff, but, uh, have always ended up coming back home. Absolutely love Northern Michigan. Yeah. 
No, it's cool. Yeah, we have I occasionally look at the where our listeners are coming from. We have a definitely that northern well, just that whole part of the, you know, Michigan and northern part of the country. There's a good hot spot up there. So obviously it's a, kind of the the whole Midwest yeah, thing, right? For, yeah, really it's Midwest. Yeah. I know that the Western boys don't really call them steelhead, but we've got steelhead and salmon and yeah. the whole deal. <laughs> no, I do. I mean I think yeah, I think it's funny because it's obviously they're not you know, native species, but I mean, they're definitely steelhead. It's just their life history is a little bit different. You know I mean? They, instead of going to the ocean, they go to the lake and that's. Yeah. And anymore, anymore, if you think about it, they're pretty much native species now. Yeah. Or yeah, technically. Yeah. They're well adapted to their, their lake runs coming into the river and you know. Yep. And I think the technical term would probably be more wild because I think after a certain number of generations, they're wild. Native would be. I don't think there are any native fish left anymore, unless you're in a totally place that's never been touched by humans. Um, right. Which there, right. There, there no, might I, be I some agree of those. with that. That's a good. That's a good way to put it. Wild. Yep. Yeah, but um, but no, that's all. Just uh, yeah, not a huge thing. The important thing is that you guys have some some good fish, and you know it's interesting because we're having a a little bit of a downturn on some of the you know the Pacific Rim steelhead, but it sounds like you guys are still things are great out there. Yeah, going strong, man. We just uh, just took one a couple days ago here on a trip. It was good. Nice. Nice. There you go. Well, that's, again, we come to that point where I'd love to talk steelhead for an hour, but I think we'll, we'll keep it on, on track. <laughs> Let's start us off with the boats because these boats are pretty cool. I was just looking at a few more of your photos. Talk about Croftcraft. I mean, how does, we've had a few drift boats. I mean, obviously we've had this season. I think we've got 16 episodes on this drift boat season. I've interviewed a number of companies. Um, one of them that's the most similar to you is is the guy out of uh, Montana. Um, do, I don't know if you caught. Yeah, that. Jason. Yeah, Jason. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, does really nice work. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's the most similar boat. But talk about your boats. Uh, how like describe your boat, your drift boat, to somebody who hasn't seen it before. Mine are different from a uh, from the building aspect as far as they're um, they're all cedar. And that's, that's probably the biggest thing that I've, where I differ, I suppose. Everybody else pretty much uses plywood. Yep. And I use, I use, uh, I use full wood. I use cedar. Hmm. Um, a lot like Jason's, I don't, I don't really do any ribs, if you will. I've got a, a building process that I, I got away from the ribs, um, and that that's pretty cool. It gives it a nice aesthetic look from the inside, you know. Mm-hmm. Is this a stitch and glue boat? It, I I guess if you, yeah, I guess if you look at like the whole process, that you might you might kind of call it a stitch and glue, but it's not. I I build my bottoms first, um, and then everything gets built around that. But it's not like a true stitch and glue. You know, it's a kind of a combination between that and the cold mold and there's a lot of different things going on okay um i i I don't have i don't have any plans i just i just build them from my head and and um design yeah design factors uh encompass what someone needs as far as like what kind of water they're on you know do they need a motor obviously there's a ton of different factors that are involved there too how do you build a boat from i mean you literally you don't have a i mean you have a design in your mind i mean don't you have to get the the numbers kind of close or how how does that work (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, um, there's a few numbers for a drift boat that have to be pretty standard. And like your, say like your Orlock height, excuse me, your Orlock height has to be within a pretty good standard of everything else out there. Otherwise your oars don't work. They hit your knees or they're too high or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, but even that, depending on how big a water someone's on, they might have a 10 foot oar. They might have a nine foot oar. They might have a seven and a half foot oar. <laughs> right. So, so that all kind of varies also. Um, it just really, these boats that I build, whenever I'm at shows and whatnot, people always ask me, so what's your clientele? And I'm like, I really don't have one. They're just, they're that specialized. You know, I only build one a year. Um, we ship that somewhere in the country. In gotcha. fact, actually, like you and I were just talking a little bit ago, I'm going to Idaho, uh, coming this Tuesday. I'm going out there to do some work on a boat that I built for a gentleman. And, um, you know, it's like a fine piece of art almost yeah. when you're all done. That's amazing. How many boats do you think you've built in your lifetime? I, I'm on, I'm on, thir- I'm rowing number 13 right now. Yeah. So 13 boats. Uh-huh. And I've been doing this for about 15 years. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing because you, you think of the numbers thing. It's almost like you compare to this podcast or anything, Roy. But, you know, I'm approaching, I think, somewhere in the 300 po- interview podcast range, right? And it's – but there's people out there that have 3,000, right? I mean, there's people and, <laughs> and, you know, it's like doing the reps. The more you do it, the more you do it, the better you get. You know, you get comfortable. Like today, we started – we had kind of a crazy thing. You know, normally with a live show – well, the good thing is, is there wasn't a ton of people on, but – Right, But you go through the reps and you get better at it. I mean, with your thing, doing 13 boats, I mean, it seems amazing that you can make such a clean boat given that you've only made 13. Or did you feel like you only need to do it once to be like kind of a master? You know, oh, no, no, I wouldn't say that at all. I would never say, and I wouldn't call myself a master by any means. I just, you know, I putz at this stuff and I, I love it. But you build a boat that doesn't leak, which is seems, you know what I mean? And, and not only does it not leak, I mean, it's a pretty good looking boat. Like it, how, how do you get to that point that quickly? Or do um, I, I think, I think the biggest thing is uh, from a, from a background of, of guiding, you know, what a boat has to be built like to withstand the crap that you put it through. So from a, from my building background, I mean, I had a, I don't have it any longer. I've given it up now, but for 25 years, I had a builder's license in the state of Michigan and I've done man projects from, you know, building full million dollar homes to doing little bathroom remodels and building cabinets and every little detail in between. Right. So you see all kinds of different, uh, structural things and you come up with different ways to do things that architects put on paper that don't work. (laughs) Yeah. I got you. So you're basically, so you've got experience. You just haven't built hundreds of boats, but you've got, no, I haven't built hundreds of boats. I probably will never build hundreds of boats, Yeah, but the boats that I do build will be like family heirloom type boats. Yeah. And they're going to last a long, long time because of the, I call it engineering. It's, I, I don't have an engineer degree. I didn't even went to college. So yep. this is all, this is all, uh, has been a somewhat trial and error down through the years, but th- 
they've always, even right from the start, they've been pretty solid. Just, just the way that I, that I build the bottoms and the inside chines and Mm -hmm. the chine rails on the inside, I should say. Gotcha. Um, Okay. And when you laminate things, things are super duper strong. Everything that I do, um, I don't steam bend anything. Everything I do is laminated. So it's all, you know, anywhere from like say quarter inch to maybe three eighths. And then it's all laminated with, um, with carbon fiber, oh, right. some fiberglass, but I gotcha. like carbon fiber because it's stiff and it's really light. Yep. It's and, expensive um, too, right? Unfortunately, it's extremely expensive. That's why the boats are so expensive. <laughs> nice. Okay. And, and when I just look, yeah, for, you know, for those that can't see it, I mean, it looks like typically a boat, a drift boat, at least, um, not talking about a pram, but it'll have a nice rocker. You know, it's made for a lot of times that, you know, they make them for white water so you can go down. And um, this one, really, when you look at it, at least the one I'm looking at, looks pretty flat. It almost looks like a almost looks like a bass boat or something like that. Well, describe that. What? Why do you make Does it have a rocker? Um, I've got some rocker. I, I have built boats with as much as like eight inches of rocker. But for the most part, the guys that I'm building these boats for, they're fishing on water that doesn't have much rapid stuff, much whitewater stuff at all, you know? Yeah. So they don't need it. It's that same analogy that you, you tell someone, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right. So why would you put a whole bunch of rocker and create more draft in a boat if you don't need it, you know? Yep. Yeah, that's right. This boat I've got in Idaho, we don't have a lot of draft on that boat. You know, he's running, he's running stuff up to maybe like a class three with that. Uh-huh. We put, we put higher sides on it and a little higher nose in the front, but it's still pretty flat. Yeah. And, uh, the way that I, the way that I build these chines, what I call a beveled chine is, is basically, it ends up being no chine, if you will. And, um, it just really spins well. So even if you do have a situation where you're in some what of white water, it's still going to spin okay for you. And, um, you can get through no problem. But for the most part, like I say, these guys are on you know, pretty flat water that they're fishing. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And, that, and that's different. I'll, I'll, you know, put links out to some of the past episodes. We've talked about some of the design on boats. Um, Koffler, yeah, I'm sure. Koffler was on and we were talking about his, his boat. There's a boat called, um, well, they made a number of different ones. Also had Ray's River Dory on, but, you know, because some of these boats, if you do them right, you could put a motor on the back and it could, it could get up on step, right? You can like, like a jet sled sort of thing. I mean, are your boats, oh, can, yeah. can you throw a motor on there and, and use it on, on that way yeah in fact i've got um one of my old guide boats i built i sold to a gentleman in uh missouri he's got a place in the upper peninsula of michigan and he, we put a we redesigned the the front and the and the back a little bit um we made it so that he could put a 10 horse on that transom and i put the anchor off the bow and then he runs that thing in lake michigan all the time there you go. Yeah, he loves it. Does it have a flat planing area on it so you can actually get up, you know what I mean, up on plane? It it does not, but it's pretty flat all the way to the back. It's got a little bit of a rocker kick in the back, but yeah. not much. So you're not going super fast in it, but he he can at least throw him over. Yeah, he there. said he said it'll run it'll run like, you know, 20 miles an hour for him. I I asked him that. I said, "Does it get up on plane?" He goes, "Yeah, it kind of does, but it takes a little longer." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The, um, there's a boat called the, uh, rapid, uh, Robert boat. It's, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So the rapid I listened Robert. to that, 
I, I enjoyed that podcast with Ray. Oh yeah. Yeah. You've heard of Ray or you know, Ray. Yeah. A bit? Yeah. For sure. That's cool. Well, if you build boats, you pretty much know who are, who, who the boat builders yeah, are. Yeah. It's right? a small, it's a small. So who, <laughs> that was another thing I was thinking about for you. I mean, so who have been your biggest influences on your boat building side of it? You know, when I got started, um, I looked at a lot of Jason stuff. Yeah. I won't, I won't, uh, ever lie about that for sure. I, I think that in my yeah. opinion, he's, he's one of the, he's one of the really, really good ones out there. Yeah. It's just, he's got a lot of really cool, innovative ideas. Yep. Um, I think from a, from a fishing standpoint, I sort of, I sort of dumbed it down a little bit and, and made it more utilitarian, if you will, with my boats. And they're, they're, they're probably lighter. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that he needs to worry about that just because he's on big water most of the time. Yeah. When I'm on cricks that are, we're rowing cricks up here that are 40 feet wide, 35 feet wide. And in the summertime, you need to get through five inches of water. You've got to have something that doesn't drop much. Right. Yeah. That's pretty shallow. The, um, yeah, KJ, uh, that, and I'll put a link out to that one as well. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty cool. I love that. And that one where he talked about, he built that boat for the Grand Canyon and, uh, yeah. and, and he dumped yeah, it exactly. and he literally dumped it. Well, I, I guess not in the Grand Canyon, but in that other river out wherever he was. And, uh, I yeah. remember, yeah, I remember him saying that, yeah, that me and my wife just listened to that here. Uh, oh yeah. A couple weeks Wasn't ago. that crazy? I mean, literally <laughs> that, that, that blows me away with the drift boats. Cause my drift, boat I've got, you know, it's not, it's not a, uh, fully sealed, but you know, imagine that where you got your thing upside down and you can just roll your drift boat over. Have you, do you have any plans to test out some, uh, maybe a boat and some white water, like build something that's for bigger stuff out West or something like that? Absolutely not. <laughs> no way. You're not into, you're not, that's good. Nope. Absolutely not. I'd rather stay upright and fish. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But uh, I think that those things are amazing. I mean, what those guys in the, with the, with the, um, the river dories do out there in the grand Canyon, that whole story with, with Martin and yep, that's, that's amazing stuff and the history of it. That's just awesome. I love it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's but, good. uh, where, where we're at, we just, we don't have anything close to that. No. I mean, I don't even think in the state of Michigan, we, unless you go to the UP, you might find a small river that's got a waterfall in some class three or something, but if, Heck, I don't even think that we're going to get past a, past a class one and a half or two around here. No, no, that's good. That's good. That's why your boat's perfect out there. But we, but we got some amazing trout fishing, I'll tell you that much. Yep. Well, let, let's dig into the trout fishing. So maybe we could focus here just a little bit on the browns and just that night fishing, because obviously you can catch them throughout the day. But take us to the, the night fishing for browns. What is that all about, and, and uh, why do you do it during the night? Well, Dave, let's start at 10 p.m. Yeah. After we've uh, met at the met at the restaurant and maybe had a had a drink and a <laughs> and a nice. So dinner. that's how it starts off, right? So there's the <laughs> the first part of it. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I got inter. Actually, the the reason that I built my first boat was because of an introduction to to this nighttime. Uh, we call it mousing, but this nighttime game for the big browns. Uh, we found we found some some big fish down on the Pier Marquette River. I was introduced to it down there one night. Uh, I booked my my wife a Gray Drake trip that that weekend. It was Memorial Day weekend, 
and um we had a great time with the bugs and then the guy that we were with this buddy of mine he had a, a guide friend down there and so we had two boats and he's like we're gonna we're gonna do some mouse and we haven't heard of it <laughs> and so he kind of got us all set up and what we got to do and whatever well that night we had one fish blow up right in front of the right in front of the boat and the fly was just kind of swinging downstream almost like dangling and me and Andy weren't even paying attention. And I mean, this thing never touched the fly, but that's all it took for me. Hmm. That was it. Yeah. And so, uh, I got back home and we figured out through talking to a few buddies that this real small fishery that we lived about five miles from has big browns that comes in out of this. It's like an inland lake system, right? There's Hmm. two big, inland lakes in northern michigan and um these fish are kind of like they're almost like landlocked they really can't get to lake michigan because of a um a dam system if you will it's like yeah. a, a big uh what do they call it where the the boats rise up oh yeah, yeah. locks locks yeah yeah so there's a big lock system so these fish are in these two big lakes and they come up into the rivers in the summertime for two things. Um, we believe water temperature has a great deal to do with it. And then obviously once we start getting like our rains in July and August, they start pushing up. And I think these fish have been doing this for so long. They pretty much push up there and they're just nocturnal. That's it. Hmm. You don't catch these fish during the day. So that's kind of what got us going. We were on foot and we started doing this as soon as we got introduced to this stuff back home. And I mean, we started catching fish on a regular basis over two foot, wow. you know, three, four nights, three, four nights a week. And I'm like, dude, I gotta, I gotta get a boat for this because this bushwhacking at three, four in the morning sucks. I wasn't a fan and it's thick where we fish. It's really thick. So I, I actually rode a couple of small boats uh, buddies had that were on the market at that time. And I didn't like them at all. They were really, really tippy. They were they're small drift boats, you know? Yep. And, um, I just, I told, I came home and told Trudy one night, I said, Hey, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to try to build one of these things. That's more stable that, that will suit us for our water up here. And the water's super small. And she's like, well, you, you're not a boat builder. You don't know the first thing about building boats. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I said, I'm going to give it a go. And I did. And um, that was actually redesigned a little bit a couple of years later. But that was actually the boat that we had on Orvis's website for a couple of years that kind of got Crofcraft on the map, if you will, through like Google and whatnot. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of cool. How to get on Orvis's website. There was a buddy of mine that fished with that uh, said, hey, man, nobody's guiding up there. You should try it. And these boats are great and blah, blah, blah. And I, I really didn't build boats, that boat intending to do anything except for just recreational fish and, and mouse after dark because we just we just fell in love with it. And then um, once it kind of got with a few different people and they were like, Hey, you need to try this. I, I did. I tried it. You know, I had my construction company and everything. And I think that first year that I actually put the shingle out, I ran like, I ran 14 days and, um, 
that first year I ran three night trips and I'll never forget it. The first night trip I did, we got four Browns that night, 19, a 21, a 23 and a 28. <laughs> that was the first all, all night trip that all I had. On, uh, mice. All on mice. We started Jeez. at about 10, 10 o'clock and got done at 4 a.m. Wow. And that was like, wow, okay, I can make, I can make a little bit of extra money doing this and yep. I love it. So I'm going to try it. Man, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm definitely coming out there to <laughs> hook up with you, man. <laughs> you, you know why this is perfect? It's perfect because it's like, it gives you more, time is always the right or most limited resource, but it's funny. You guys start this out in the evening. You, uh, you know, grab us some drinks or whatever, but you know, you're done at 4am. I mean, you got the whole day ahead of you. I obviously you have yeah. to sleep sometimes, but, uh, right. you know what I mean? It kind of like changes your schedule. If you could do that. I mean, have you, had you thought of, I mean, I guess this is something, again, it's one of those things where how much guiding can you do, but going more into the guiding and trying to get more trips or is it more just kind of like, sign? well, yeah. actually what happened was, is yeah, within three years I quit my construction company and I was guiding full time. Oh, you were. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's, that's what I do now is it's now it's more guiding than anything. Um, depending on the year, we'll run anywhere from anywhere from like say 130, 40 days on up to maybe 160. And I'm hoping to get it maybe to like 180 at some point. It'd be great. Oh, wow. So, so out of those, yeah, one, so I do a lot, I do a lot of trips. Yeah, you do a lot. So out of those trips, how many, what percentage are uh, the night, night fishing? You know, that's kind of weird too. That varies. I mean, I've done as many as like 50 and I've done as, as few as 20, yeah. 22. Gotcha. Yeah. Takes a special. Just I mean, all depends the... on, all depends on the, the summer and how many people are traveling. Like this last couple of years with this COVID thing, man, we've getting hit hard. Yeah. But hopefully it'll come, hopefully it'll come back, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Cool. Well, this is, this is pretty awesome. So let, let's go back to the water then, uh, in that, you know, 10 PM you're out there, you're rolling out. So you, so you definitely are using the boat. You're, you're taking it in the night. You're, how are you navigating the waters during the night? You better know that water impeccably well. Um, I've done some, uh, things like speaking events with different TU clubs and whatnot through the years. And, I've got one of my programs is a, it's a mousing, um, presentation, right? And I always tell people, if you're going to start this stuff, pick say a hundred yards or 150 yards on your favorite stream that has brown trout in it and know that hundred or 150 yards, like the back of your hand, like, you know, every stick in that little section of water that has four corners in it. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you know that piece of water that well, you'll be able to be successful at night because otherwise you're going to get hung up in the trees and it's just going to be a clustered mess. Gotcha. Um, but that's the biggest thing is you just got to know the water. So when we're, when we're guiding this water during the day, obviously you get to know these rivers. Um, and fortunately my, my brain must pick up on twists and turns. Well, I probably would have been a good IndyCar driver because of the, <laughs> the twisty turny track. Um, I, I tend to really take well to the rivers that I'm on as far as memory goes. And then when you're out there after dark, you know it, you just know it. Yeah. You know? So you don't have a big spotlight out there guiding the way. Oh no. 
no, the, the less light, the better. And we, we like to schedule these things around the new moon. So, yeah. So basically you're, you're doing this thing. You got, uh, you know, if you want to do some night fishing, you can, it's, you do a little chunk of them every year. What is, once you get there, once you find that spot and you have, I mean, are these clients, are they mostly experienced? Or are you taking beginners out there at night? I take beginners out too. There's a lot of people that just are intrigued about it and they just want to, they want to do it. They never have. Right. It's very, it's a very intriguing thing going fishing after dark. If you've never done it. I mean, it's, it can be very intimidating. Um, I've had twice now down through the years where people have been in the boat and they've been out there for a half hour, 40 minutes. And they're like, Hey, row me in because this isn't for me. Mm hmm. You know, but it's, it's really cool. I mean, it's, it's amazing being out in the, in the stars and you see shooting stars and you hear owls all night long. And oh, yeah. I, I don't know, it's pretty indescribable unless you, unless you really experience it. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing experience. Yeah. And, and is the fishing with the, the, you know, the mousing, is it just that much better in the night or can you mouse in the daytime too? You can mouse in the daytime, say more canada type thing brook trout they'll eat mice during the day there's some there's some areas that that works really well as far as brown trout goes i would say just from my experience more of a nighttime thing Mm -hmm. um they say at a certain point i guess they've done studies on these browns and at a certain point they actually go nocturnal and you know they may feed a little during the day, but for the most part, these, these big fish, you know, I'm not talking fish that are 17, 18, 19 inches. I'm talking fish that are two foot and better. Yeah. Um, these things are, they're carnivores and they, they eat other fish. They eat little mammals. They eat a lot of frogs. Um, you know, we have (laughs) tons of frogs up here in the summertime as, as you guys probably do out there Mm -hmm. too. You hear them and, when you run in, uh, when you run in patterns that are, that have like that, a lot of white on them, I think that they actually will take that as a frog there. The frog's underbelly is kind mm. of that crystally type white color, you know? Yeah. So yeah, these fish, they're, they're more of a nocturnal animal and, and that's the only, for the most part, unless you get one on a real dark day on a streamer. For the most part, that's when you're going to catch a trout that's two foot or better. That's it. That's it. So you're... Yeah. And what are the flies looking like? I mean, take us to that, the setup. What, what are you using there to, to get these guys? Well, for for rods, we're running any anywhere from like a like a seven, eight weight, typically. Um, I'm I'm with the Scott Scott guys with my rods, and, and mm-hmm. I've got a... They've got a saltwater six weight that I really like a lot. It's an eight foot, four inch six weight. Um, and then they also got that rod and eight weight and a 10 weight. So I run those quite a bit for mousing. Um, the lines, we run the, uh, the glow lines. So SA makes a, a magnum taper glow line. That is awesome. That thing rolls over, that thing roll over a, a dead chicken. I mean, it's got a awesome <laughs> front taper on it. It'll just roll over real big bugs. Mm-hmm. And then, um, as far as leader goes, you don't really need a lot of leader. You know, if you're running four foot in a small system, that's a, that's a lot of leader. Kind of like a streamer thing where you're not running a ton of leader in a, in a, 
and a streamer game what some people run two foot some people mm-hmm. run three foot sort of the same thing okay but don't don't underestimate the the pound test i run um i run 20 pound maxima i mean you hook a fish that's 30 or better you want a chance and on our rivers like i say they're you know 30 to 40 feet wide and they're just michigan is all about the wood hmm so yep. we don't have a ton of gravel. Well, we've got a lot of gravel, but they hide in the wood. That's just that's our game up here. And man, you hook these things and they go right for the wood. Yeah. And it's dark out. <laughs> right. You're done. So it's a whole different ball game when the lights go out. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're pretty much horsing them trying to just keep them get them in as soon as you can. Yeah, you got to get these fish under control faster. You're just not even going to have a chance. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. What's a good um, What's a good mouse pattern? What do you like to use? Um, there, oh, there's so many out there. Yeah. I mean, you could run anywhere, anything Doesn't from like matter. say a, a a Mr. Hanky, yep, uh, Alaskan style. You can run. A lot of people run that. Uh, Ken Morish's yeah, I was just Morish say the mouse. Morish mouse. Yeah, yep, the Morish mouse and and um, uh, Tommy Lynch. He's another Michigan yep. guy. Oh, cool. He's got one. He's got one called the uh, white belly mouse. I've got one with catch flies called the nervous Nita. Hmm. I mean, there's there's so many out there. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's not. So the fly isn't. Uh, I mean, really, not super important. Just get something that's big and bushy and hairy. It, and... You know what we started with? We started with um, with gurglers that were like two and a half, three inches long. Yeah, and what's that's what's, what we started. What's a gurgler? Started with. So a gurgler, like a like a guard side gurgler, just a foam, a foam body, rolled over the top of a, of a crystal chenille body with a marabou tail and some rubber legs. Yep. So not even that's any, it. No, no deer hair, or no any elk hair, or anything. Like no, that. nothing. Just uh, the the foam lip is kicked up in the front. Yep. And oh, right. and, and then it just you're wakes across, it, waking it. Just wakes across the water. Yeah, yeah. you're stripping it and twitching it biggest thing is finding <clears throat> finding the water and and um these fish at night are in spots that that you may not understand because they're not there during the day right they're going to be more on your inside corners in like a foot to two foot of water real skinny water sometimes we've seen them in like six inches of water hmm. hunting yeah where the water's not even hardly moving so you got to make sure you swing that fly. If you're swinging it from deep to shallow, swing it all the way to the bank because you'll get hit on that. It's almost like a steelhead thing, mm-hmm. like a Western steelhead thing where you guys yeah. swing it all the way to downstream, the right? Yeah, you're swinging it. So tip, typically when you get out there, you're, you're swinging these things down and across? Yeah, down and across. Um, I mean, I have fished them. I have fished them upstream like a dry fly, but it's on super small cricks that are like 15 feet wide. So... So on the bigger ones, you're swinging down across and you're just making a lot of commotion and uh, looking at making the, the thing look like it's swimming away from the fish. Yeah. Yeah, you just got to get it on top of the water. And if you you encounter one that's hunting, they're going to eat it. <laughs> Gosh. So, I mean, it sounds pretty fairly easy. I mean, obviously you're in the dark for these things, but I mean, is it fairly straightforward? Well, it's easy until you turn the lights out and you put yourself in a drift boat. Yeah. Are you fishing casting from the drift boat? Oh yeah. Oh wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. And what's crazy is this. So I've got, I've got like last year, it was funny. We had a guy come up from, uh, 
Indiana. He fishes with me three, four times a year. And it was the first time he had moused. So we get in the boat, we're going down through and, and I'm, you tell people where to cast it, you know, and the front of that boat is kind of like being in the salt water. The front of that boat is 12 o'clock. And then obviously to the left is 10 o'clock and to the right is two o'clock of the bow of the boat. Right. Yeah. So as we're going down through, I'm, I'm telling Dan, I'm like, okay, right, 10 o'clock, two o'clock, whatever. And, and he notices within about 10 minutes, he goes, Hey, why am I casting? Why do you have me casting to the inside of every corner? And I'm like, that's where all the fish are at. That's where they like to feed. Mm-hmm. So we talked about that a bit. And that night, probably about an hour into it, hour and a half into it, not quite midnight, he hit a two-footer in about eight inches of water on the inside of a corner that was just, you, you, you get into that spot where it's almost an eddy, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm on that inside and that's right where that fish was set. So, so not the, not the deep part of the pool, but the, actually the inside, the shallower part. Yeah. They move out of the deeps and they'll, they'll feed in the shallows. Yeah. They got a real good opportunity as they're just sitting in there. That water's not moving so they can chase whatever they need to super fast. That's, that's what the key. And yeah, Kelly Gallup way back, I think it was episode 52 said exactly that when he, well, he's a Michigan, there you go. There's your Michigan guy. He, he started out in Michigan mm-hmm. and he, <laughs> and he was talking about that work he was doing. He was snorkeling, you know, swimming and trying to ID stuff. And he was just, he would do the big pools and then he'd get out and cross over. And he was seeing that when he crossed over those areas you're talking about, he was spooking huge fish in those inside, oh, yeah. you know, and that's what got him keyed in on it. So you're, you're pretty much just talking to the you know same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, we've been, once I figured that out, I figured that out, like probably it was right. It was pretty much right away. It's just, as you swing these flies, the more eats you get on the inside, you're like, all right, what kind of what's going on here? And then you start putting it all together and you're like, okay, yeah, these fish must be coming out of this deep water and just sitting on these insides waiting for food. I think a lot of your frogs and whatnot, when they, when they jump in, they got to feed on stuff. A lot of times I've seen mice actually swim across the river. Right, so they're jumping in. Yeah, they're they're just kind of out there cruising around too. Oh yeah, I've I've heard people say that sometimes in really hot weather they'll jump in to cool themselves off. That's, I don't know how true that is, sure. but um, it, it's a possibility, I guess. <laughs> Damn, that's amazing. But no, it's a uh, it's pretty wild how these fish are. They are about ninety percent, eighty five percent of the time. I would say they are definitely on the insides. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And it's easier to fish, right? I mean, when you're swinging it across on the inside, so are you, take us to the pool. So you've got, you're above the pool, like upstream, and you're just swinging down into, from a riffle into that little area, or how you, how are you hitting those little inside seams or pockets? Yeah. So if you're on foot and you're going to fish the, the head of that pool, I would fish it kind of towards the outside, the deep part of the bend, because you obviously want to cover that, but like I say, 85, 90% of the time when your fly swings down, you, you got to let that th- thing swing all the way to the inside. And then a lot of times that's where your strike will come is maybe from like, uh, you know, six feet out from the bank on into the bank. Yeah. Gotcha. So you're, you might be swinging a little bit into that deeper part, but for the most part, it's coming into that inside seam. Or the this bottom. is a, this is a perfect example right here. Dave, so I had a lady one night. This is the first couple of years that I guided. And I was on my my home water where I started this whole thing. 
she's fished a lot all over the place. This lady was a very accomplished angler. Her and her husband were in the boat and it was a tough night. It got cold. We didn't move very many fish, but he moved a few. He was letting that fly swing right where it needed to. She would not let that fly swing. She just kept wanting to cast and cast and cast. And finally I'm like, listen, you gotta let that fly. We had several conversations about it through the night. The very next cast, she let that thing swing all the way to the bank. And she had an enormous brown eat it like six inches off the bank. Yeah. She hooks it. I, I get the light on. She's like, I got him. I see this at the time I was running a seven weight. This thing is to the cork. And I watched that fish. We didn't see the actual fish, but we watched that line. It went from the front of the boat. It went past her, past the boat, past me and broke us off 20 pound maxima, like lickety split. Yeah. It's a huge trout. But the, the moral of the story is she finally let that fly swing into where that fish was at. Yep. You know, I, you just, you got, you got to trust it. It's really, it's really hard to trust that. Right. What was the, what, what was the take like on that thing? Or what is the take typically like when those fish? Um, that one right there sounded maybe to the effect of, now I've never heard this happen before because you don't see uh, bowling balls drop into the water from 10 feet in the air. Yeah. But I would say maybe about like that, <laughs> the kersploosh was right. enormous. <laughs> it's just this, this big eruption of water and, yep. and then you have to, the other key to that whole thing is you have to wait. We call it wait for the weight. So kind of like you're, again, your steelhead mm-hmm. hang down, if you will, you got to wait until they're there. If you set the hook on that sound nine times out of 10, they don't really have the fly in their mouth yet. Right. They're just kind of, you hear the sound. <laughs> They got to turn, they got to go down, they got to have that thing. And then you can set on them, strip set on them. Got it. So you got to be um, patient. Is the, you got it. Yeah. Is the rule of that. thumb where you, um, uh, you know, you bow to the fish before you do anything is with that, is that a helpful tip? You know what I mean? I, like, no, I wouldn't say that. No. I would just say, wait for the wait. You know, God sent the queen New Zealand. Yeah. What is it? The two, two second rule or whatever on yeah. a dry fly, big brown trout over there. Two second. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the same thing. It's like. When you feel the weight, then you can set the hook. And I don't care how you do it, it strip set preferably. But um, whatever whatever happens after that, just get a flipping get a flipping hook set on that thing, yeah. and you're, you might stand a chance That's depending awesome. on how big it is. <laughs> That's awesome. No, it sounds cool. It sounds. I love that it's uh, you know similar to steelhead fishing because you know obviously it doesn't get any easier than swinging flies for steelhead and i mean essentially you're kind of doing the same thing here just on the surface and are you doing a lot of you know are you twitching it or are you for the most part just letting it swing and the fly do the do the work we vary it you know when we're in the boat we actually do a lot of a lot more stripping when we're fishing from the boat than we do um when we're on foot and the reason for that would be like if you throw that fly on an inside corner, see, say we're in the boat in the head of a pool and I'm going to kind of the pool, the, the corner goes from, from left to right. It goes around and I'm going to kind of set up with the boat as we're moving down into this pool to the outside. So to the left, 
and I'm going to have my guy throw it to the right, to the inside, right? Well, that water's really not moving a lot in there. So you're going to want to animate that fly. Yeah. You want to get it moving a little bit, especially if you throw it in a spot where it's not moving at all. Yep. And um, you move that fly a little bit and it'll elect a strike. Gotcha. And then I'll kind of like, I'll kind of ease down into the, just, just to the top part of that pool. We'll fish the inside of the corner and then I'll slide the boat a little bit backwards and directly across and then let him sort of twitch and swing through the big part of the corner as we go around it, like yep. the deeper part. Gotcha. Oh, so you're, so as you're drifting, you're fishing too. Yeah. He's, oh yeah, for That's sure. Cool. He's fishing all night long. He's casting all night long, just about like your streamer fishing. That's cool. Nice. Well, uh, Phil, we've got, you know, I know we started a little bit late here, so we're going to be running out of time on this. Um, but, no uh, but yeah, I just wanted before we start to kind of wrap this up, anything else you want to highlight here as far as if somebody wanted to, maybe they wanted to go out there, they're up in your area, they want to do this on their own. Um, you know, anything we missed here that, you know, can help somebody is, is there a good resource out there? As far as mousing goes, I, I really don't, I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of like little blog articles and stuff like yeah. that, that are, that are wrote on it, you know, but I, I would say from a safety aspect too, if you come into an area and you want to try this, I, I would just say, get a guide that, yeah. that's probably your best bet. Yep. Huh. You know, a guy's gonna, guy's gonna know the area and be gotcha. able to put you on a fish right away. How many, um, in your area, you know, are there a lot of people doing this guiding? There, there are, there, there's a, there's a good number, you know, Michigan is kind of known for it's nighttime stuff like the hex hatch and whatnot. Um, and there's guys that, that I know that do a lot of mousing trips. So yeah, it, it's kind of known for it a little bit. Our area is. Yeah. Here's, um, I just pulled up, I just had uh, Lewis Cahill from geek and gasoline was on in, a, in an episode and, uh, I just, I just Googled mousing at night and obviously geek, I think they get like 2 million unique views on their website per year, but he's got a blog post. that's like, um, you know, what's, what's the title? Uh, you can mouse just about anywhere. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, when we go out to Idaho next week, we'll be, we will mouse. Um, I mean, it's still kind of winter ish time out there. It's getting to be spring, but it's still pretty cold out there. Um, the the Mackey the Mackey Dam on the Big Lost River below the dam we're gonna mouse that next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean I, I do it I've done it I've done it in Wyoming I've done it in Montana I'm gonna do it in Idaho. <laughs> yeah, so that's it. I, yeah, it's uh you can do it anywhere no doubt about it and it and it's not only bronze too I mean we've caught some we've caught some enormous cutthroat in Wyoming doing this. Yep. At night. It's just a different way to fish. It's a really unique way to fish. I think it's a lot of fun. And um, guys that are looking for something different to do, they should try it. Yeah, that's perfect. What If you had to give some tips, do you have a few tips you could provide to help somebody? You know, if uh, let's say now, you know, wherever they're at, you got brown trout, you want to go do some mousing. What, what would you tell them? I would say the biggest tip would be first and foremost, know that hundred or 200 yards of water that you're going to start with the fish, like the back of your hand. Yep. Uh, I would say that would be the biggest tip. The second, maybe make sure you fish with somebody, fish with a buddy just from a safety aspect. Mm-hmm. And then, um, 
I would definitely get one of those glow lines too, because they really help the process. You, you know, when that fly actually is all the way to the inside of the corner, right? And what's in the glow line to describe that? So SA makes one that we use. Um, it's a, it's a line that you glow up with a black light. Yeah. It literally glows in the dark. It literally glows in the dark. Yeah, exactly. And, and it allows you to, to mend, like if you're swinging, it allows you to mend that fly and slow it down or to mend that, mend that line and speed it up. Um, it just allows you to know exactly where that fly is at throughout the water column when you're swinging that fly. Yep. Which is key because, because you know, from fishing in the daytime, you know where those fish are going to be for the most part. So you want to, even at night that you can't see, you're still trying to hit those spots. Well, pick your, pick your deep, pick your deep holes and fish within that area of, you know, some yards, 40 yards, whatever. And you'll, you'll find them. I mean, if there's a, if there's a good population of brown trout in that river, I guarantee you'll find them. Perfect. So, um, so yeah, are we, uh, you feeling pretty good about this? If somebody listened to this and they just wanted to learn a little bit of a, a kind of an intro to it, do you think we, we covered enough to get somebody going? Well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I hope so. I hope that, I hope that somebody can pick up a few, a few pointers from this and go out and try it and, and be successful. That's what it's all about. It's, you know, for me, even being a guide, it, it's really the end of the day. It's about getting someone in the boat and teaching them something so they can be successful on their own. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you can do this without a boat, right? You don't have to have a boat to do oh, this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you don't. You, you can totally do it without a boat. The only thing is, is with a boat, you cover a lot more water, right? Yeah. Gotcha. And that's, I think that's the key. Some nights that's the key to success when fishing is a little bit tougher. Maybe it's colder, maybe whatever the case may be. It's, we know, we all, we all that fish, we know that fishing is fishing sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those tougher nights, those are the nights that we, if you bite off five miles of water or four miles of water versus say 300 yards, you, you might be successful versus not being successful just because you're hitting more spots. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right, Phil. Well, I'll put a link out to, uh, I guess it's uh, croftcraft.com. Yeah, absolutely. They can get a hold of me. The best way is just to either email or call, but I, I look. I love talking to people on the phone. I'd rather talk to them on the phone than anything. <laughs> okay. All right. Perfect. Yeah, I'll get a link and we'll, you know, connect you. And yeah, hopefully here, you know, we can, I can make my way out there and stop by. I'd love to, I'd love to check out the boats in person too, to see, see what those things look like there. Are you, are you going to be, are you working on one right now? Um, no, I'm, I'm in the process right now of working a deal with a guy over on the Asable river. Hopefully we'll be able to, to pin this down, uh, selling him the boat that I've been guiding out of for the last four seasons Oh yeah, and building myself a new one. There you go. So I'll, hopefully I'll be able to start my, my new one here this fall yep. when I get back in the shop. Perfect. How long does it take you if you're just to sit down and just dedicate to building a boat? How long does it take you? Uh, it's a solid, it's a solid six months. Oh wow. Yeah. Six months. Damn. Yeah. It's, it's there's a lot of work. I mean, Jeez. you know, like in the boat I'm rowing right now, Dave, for instance, there's, it, it's all, like I say, it's all, um, it's all, uh, the, all the cedars ripped. So it's, it's individual pieces, right? Yeah. There's over 750 pieces just in the sidewalls of this boat. Yep. It's all, it's all stripped. So, 
it's it's kind of it's just different than the whole plywood process you know where those guys can take a panel and cut it out and slap it in and yeah it's not that way at all it's a it's a hand-built product right from the start to finish everything is i i weld the trailers up custom built to the bottom of the boat myself um you know we put we put really nice winch systems on the power Mm -hmm. winch system on the front of the trailer with a separate battery box that charges off the vehicle that's we just kind of try to do it right you know right right that's cool yeah you got it sounds like you got the whole package there well but that's why the boats are 40 grand yeah i mean (laughs) well and i was gonna say i mean if it takes you six months to build one that that's like uh half a year you know times two i mean 40 grand sounds about right you know what i mean yeah and, and the thing is is you know, you you can go out and buy buy a drift boat now for what ten twelve thousand dollars probably. I, I I don't know. Maybe oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean I remember. What, it, yeah. So I got ten grand in materials. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not even. That's the difference. Okay, I mean, Jason talked a little bit about that. It's kind of really not really apples for apples. If you start just you say okay, that's a drift boat and that one's made out of wood and that's a drift boat and that one's fiberglass or whatever. Yeah. It's. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of gray area in between the two end end products. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think, in fact, while we're doing this episode, because this is going to post, like I said, a couple months, um, we have a new sponsor coming up uh, this year, uh, uh, Koffler Drift Boats, and that's the boat I've been using pretty much my whole life. So I know them really well. It's aluminum, you know, it's aluminum boat, and I've been using aluminum. But I mean, again, it's like there's lots of great wood boats. There's tons of fiberglass boats. There's even plastic boats, right? I mean, there's like, it seems like the drift boat, yeah, yeah, the drift boat market has it all covered. So it it just depends on what you want. You know, like I love the, I love the aluminum boats. One of the things I love about them is that you can literally just leave it outside for, it doesn't matter, right? There's no upkeep on it, which is. Well, I I will, I will say this. I followed Koffler for a long time too. And I think they got a great product. And I will say this, if I didn't build my own boats and I'm kind of in this area now guiding and whatever, I'm sort of known as like the, the wood boat guy, yeah. if you will. Um, if I didn't have that going on, I would be running one of those Koffler, what is it, the RT trout or whatever it is? Yeah, yeah, the trout, right. I, I'd be running that trout boat and I would have the, I'd, I'd spray my, my Speedliner product on the bottom and on the inside so that it quieted it down oh, a little bit. Oh, the Speedliner now, is that kind of like the Wetlander sort of stuff? No, Speedliner is a, it's a full on truck bed liner type product and it adds a little bit of weight, but it, it definitely would quiet the boat also. Oh, wow. Is it, so is it slick or sticky? No, it's, it'd be more, I mean, once it, once it gets cured out to the point that it's a hundred percent cured. I wouldn't call it sticky because everything in a river and and I, and I've, that's a whole nother thing, but everything in a river has, has some kind of, of slime on it. Period. Rocks. They all have some degree of something on them that are going to help a boat slide. Okay. So, but that's a whole nother world of talking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a whole episode with a wetlander. We we talked an hour about the bottom of the boat. Yeah. Yeah. And I've actually talked to them about putting that stuff on the bottom of my boats and I've opted not to. Yep. Um, it's just, it just doesn't, it's just not a good fit. Yeah. But, um, as far as the, the speed liner goes, it's a really good product. It, um, it lasts a long time really well, unless you hit like a piece of steel or something, you're not going to gouge through that stuff. Yeah. But it does add a little bit of weight. Yeah. Yeah. 
but no, it, it's it slides over stuff. I don't ever have any problems okay. sticking on sticking on the, things, you know, logs and rocks and whatever. We just hit them and slide over. Yeah, them. and I've got. I mean, I've hit lots of rocks in white water and all sorts of crazy stuff. But I've yeah. got one big dent on the bottom of my boat that's just. I think, in fact, it was a time I gave my boat out to somebody and they hit a big rock, but. You know, the thing that, that like Wetlander mentioned that episode is that, you know, when you're, when you're sticking, you know, that's when, you know, you know, that's the great thing is that if you're sticking, that's when you can really dent the crap out of your boat or, you know, because it's not sliding. So I guess Wetlander slides. And anyway, right now, I mean, I'm literally, it's in, it's at Koffler as we speak, uh, he's doing the Wetlander. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I've never had it. I've never used it. So I wanted to test it out and see how it works. So I'll, I'll come back and give a shout out here, but yeah, I'm interested on the coffer. It's, it's hard because, you know, obviously it's a big cost. So, you know, if they're a sponsor on the podcast, how do I, you know, how do I sell a boat for them? And I think the easiest thing I could do is be <laughs> right. like, Hey, I've used this boat my whole life. In fact, my dad, this is how funny it goes back with coffler. My dad used to have a little fly shop back in the day. You know, that's how he made his living. And, uh, and uh, Joe, uh, Joe's dad, uh, Bruce, is the guy who started the company back in the 70s. Well, my dad used to sell Koffler boats. He was one of the guys way oh, back wow. then. Yeah, so it's like full circle. Now we're literally 50 years later, um, I'm now promoting Koffler boats, the same boat I remember as a little kid seeing those boats. So I don't know. It's kind of fun. For me, I always think of my sponsors as I want a company that I know and love, right? I'm never going to promote somebody that I don't like love. So this one's easy. It's it's kind of cool. And you can have sponsors that are practically family down through the years. It pretty much <laughs> is. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it should be. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the, anyway, so I'm, I'm excited for that, but Hey, uh, Phil, I definitely appreciate you coming on today. This has been awesome. I mean, I think the boats, just take a look at your website. You can see how unique your boat looks. It's, it's pretty cool. And I, I'll be, yeah, if I can make it up there and stop by, I'd love to get in that thing and maybe even get behind the oars, man. It'd be fun to row. Oh that. yeah. I'd love you to. We just got back. I got in Tennessee for the month of March down in East Tennessee. We go down there uh-huh. in the winter time and take a bunch of clients down. And, uh, there was a guy down there, a buddy of mine that through the fly shop that I deal with down there, he got in it and he rode, he rode it for a day and he was, uh, he's like, I've never been in a boat that drafts such little water where it's like almost nervous. Yeah. Like it just doesn't, it like you got to be on the oars a little bit more. Right. That's a big river. The South Holston's a big river. Um, but it is, it's, it's for small water. They're perfect. Yeah. I can build them a little different for bigger water, obviously, but that particular boat that I'm rowing right now on that big water, it is, it, it only drafts, like I say, with three people in it, you're only drafting four and a half, five inches. Yeah. Is it a 14 foot boat? It's 14, six, 14, six. This yeah. one. So why not, why not, uh, why not a 16 foot or something bigger or small? Well, my next one's, my next one's going to be 18 or 19. Yeah. And yeah. it's going to be a little, not quite as wide. Um, I've got it. You know, like I say, again, you guide for long enough and you figure out what you like, what you don't like and what reacts well in different situations. And so I've kind of dialed it to the point where I know exactly what I need to go between like, say, Tennessee and Michigan and um, have that boat right where right where I wanted from a comfort level, from a rowing standpoint. Yep. So 18, 19 long and a little bit narrower than I typically am. Um, I think it'll be perfect. Cool. Cool. All right, Phil. Well, Hey, uh, John's been on here too. I think he's probably just listening in the background, but, uh, 
you know, I think as we get into this, uh, uh, I'll probably be, you know, if this is, I mean, like today we saw one of the challenges, right? I, I screwed up. I probably should have come on and do, done a pre-episode, right, to get you going. But eventually, you know, once we get going, I'm going to have, you know, if this works out, we're going to have more people. The The struggle is the clubhouse. It's, I'm not sure, you know, it works great for me. I love it, but I'm not sure how long it's going to be around, right? I think all these other companies like Facebook, they're all going to come out with their own clubhouse apps. Oh, um, you know I, I mean? see what you're saying. Because right yeah. now, the cool, the power of this is right now, John's in the audience. He's just been there probably listening while he's doing, you know, whatever fishing, who knows, but he could raise his, <laughs> he, he could raise his hand right now. And we could bring him up on stage and he could, he could, there he is. There he is. So now John, we're going to bring him up. We're going to invite him. Here you go, Phil. So we're going to invite, we're, oh, I missed him. Let me bring him up. John, come come on up if you're out there. Oh, there we go. Hey, John, how's it going? Hey guys. Hey, Phil. Hey, Dave. That was a great conversation. I loved listening to it. And Dave is experiencing some of the joys and pitfalls of clubhouse as am i yeah uh, <laughs> yeah this is the live this is but this is the beauty of clubhouse this is why it's amazing because literally you can bring somebody up on stage anywhere in the world and they can just talk to your guests and right now phil you know you're here and john we're just chatting right now we're just now we're it's even right. better yeah how you doing john good 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 you know like dave it is interesting i have a podcast as well um unrelated to fly fishing but uh it's interesting to listen to you record these podcasts on Clubhouse. And, you know, it gives me the idea, like, to bring up people that can ask questions of your guests. I know sometimes I get sort of stumped with asking yeah. questions. But, uh, you know, like, Phil, listening to you talk about fly fishing, um, you gave me lots of valuable information on on different things that you do, like the short leader. Here in Alberta, we have some pretty epic brown trout streams, but they are small sort of spring creeks, spring streams, uh, small rivers. Um, I'm trying to picture what you're describing when you're guiding. Are these, how big are these rivers? And then what would your advice be for me wanting to night fish brown trout on a small sort of prairie river? If prairie you can. river. So how, how wide are these small prairie rivers, John? They can be down, to, they can be as wide as, I'm going to say, 20 yards. So where you probably could get a drift boat on them, no problem. 60 uh, feet, yeah. Yeah, but they could be as narrow as uh, eight feet, let's say. Okay, so that sounds about like kind of what we have going in, in northern Michigan where I'm at. Um, like, like I said before, the biggest thing is know your water, number one. You know, pick pick 200 yards to start. I mean, unless you know these rivers really, really well already. And if you know these rivers really, really well already, start at the head of that hole and, and, and cast to the outside of the corner, right? And swing it all the way to the inside. Um. Sorry, just, I'm not, I'm having trouble picturing what you're saying. So the river... So let's say you're standing on the bank, let's say, is that, is that what you're talking about? Um, yeah. So if you're standing, let's just say, John, you're standing, you're standing on a bank river, right? Okay. And that river right in front of where you're at, it's going to be going to the right. And river, right, Phil, just for clarification is looking downstream. It'd be on your right side. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah I apologize about that. Yep. So looking downstream, you're on the right side. Your river is going to the right. 
around this corner that you're going to be walking to. You with me so far, John? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Now, the deep part of that corner, if you will, is going to be on the left, which is typically during the daytime, if you're running down through there and you're nymphing or whatever, you might be nymphing that deeper water coming into that corner. Or you're throwing streamers on a dark day, you're going to throw it into that deeper water because that's where those fish are going to be at, down on the bottom, hiding in the wood. Swing that mouse from the deep part to the shallow part. So it would be from like the left side of the river, casting out and across the left and swing it down into the right side that you're standing on. Yeah, I get that now totally. And that that side that I'm standing on, that inside corner is typically going to have slower moving water, shallower water, correct? Correct. And don't ever be afraid once that fly swings in there. And that's where... That's where those glow lines really come into play, right? So you can mend, um, let's say that fly gets in there and it starts to slow right down almost to a stop, right? Take and mend that line all the way to that bank and strip it up four feet. Put, put two, three hard strips on it and move that thing because once it gets into that water where it stops, that water's not really moving anymore. You're in that inside corner eddy, if you will, the fly is. So move it a little bit. And sometimes that'll elicit a pretty violent strike. <laughs> yeah, I've caught some bigger rainbows that way down on the Bow River um, by doing that same sort of technique. But those are on like, you know, weighted streamers or uh, woolly buggers, things like that. You're saying that you're doing these. I heard you talk about gurglers and and big dry fly mouse patterns and things like that. So um, that's what you're saying, hey? Yeah, gurglers, gurglers is a great place to start. I mean, you can get online, like Dave and I were talking, Moorish mice. There's all the Mr. Hanky Alaska, um, Tom, Tommy Lynch's white belly mouse, my nervous Nita mouse through catch flies. There's tons of mouse patterns out there. You could basically palmer a rabbit strip on a hook with a tail throw some foam over the back of it and put some big old chunks of rubber on the front of it. And you got yourself a mouse pattern. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, but, um, the key is getting the fly into the water where the trout are at, and they're going to be in the slow stuff. And typically that slow stuff is on the inside. That's fascinating. Thanks so much. Thanks Dave for having me up on stage here and asking Phil those questions. Now I completely understand what Phil's talking about. Thanks so much. Nice. Well, whatever you do, John, if you get a big trout doing this this summer, make sure you shoot me an email with some pics, eh? I've got, we, there's some mountain streams that we fish and I've never caught a big brown trout before. And, uh, I've got a video on my, somewhere on my Instagram feed. And, uh, it's the only sort of swear word that I have on my Instagram feed is I finally hook this (laughs) It's not as big as what you're talking about, but it's, it was a big, you know, four pound brown trout on a dry fly on a caddis. And I had him on for maybe 10 seconds or so and then lost. <laughs> so <laughs> I will do that. If I can, if I can take some of your advice and catch a big trout, you're definitely going to be getting a picture. <laughs> good, good. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to throw some 20 pound on there, man. Cause these things aren't even thinking about leaders. Yeah. That was another good tip. And yeah. the sh- 
sure that I picked up on that as well. Hey, hey, John, what, yeah. what what's your podcast? It's the Food of Field podcast. Oh yeah, so Food of Field. Yeah, yeah, we do wild food ingredients and how to collect them. Amazing. We, yeah, yeah. I, I focus on uh, traditional bow hunting and fly fishing. That's and, cool. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, I've heard of you. I think I've listened to a couple episodes and all that. So I'll. I'll uh, yeah, well, we'll give you a shout out here too. When this, like I said, this is probably going to go live sometime on the Wet Fly Swing podcast in maybe June, so you'll, you'll hear it there. But Phil, this is this is the great thing. You see, I've I've been a little hesitant to to go full on and announce it to my email list and everything because partly because it's only iPhone users and I I don't want to restrict you know everybody else that doesn't have one. But I don't know, maybe I should just announce it and, and then it'll help the people with the iPhone. Oh man, I would. I'd get on there and ask questions, hundred percent. Yeah, cool. So I think I might do that next week. Uh, just start to open this up to everybody, and that because this is really, I mean, John, the information, just this question, is way more helpful than me. I mean, I'm just sitting there listening, but you know what I mean. Like John's one question made this an amazing podcast. So I think we got to do more of this for sure. Yeah, you do. It's it's really cool the way that it works. I mean, it's amazing that someone in. Uh, Denmark can get on here and you know exactly no that's the power so cool all right guys hey I got another meeting in two minutes so uh this has been awesome thanks for taking the time John for sticking around for the whole thing this is so cool and Phil my bad at the start I should have prepped you way more that was totally (laughs) my fault so I'm sorry about that but yeah yeah this will be awesome I'll edit it up and get it out and I'll give you a heads up when it's ready to go and and we'll take it from there that's great Dave thanks so much for having me on I appreciate it all right thanks guys see ya take care bye-bye see you John so there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links, and everything else we covered today, head over to webflyswing.com slash 230-230. If you get a chance, uh, please uh, smash that subscribe button. If you're new to the show and you haven't yet subscribed, this will be the best chance for you to get updated when that next episode drops. So that's it. That's pretty much a wrap for today. I uh, appreciate you for hanging on again today for the show and uh, looking forward to catching up and uh, talking to you on the next podcast thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com